Now, if you'll get your Bibles and open them to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I'll read you a couple of three verses beginning at verse 16. Galatians 5 at verse 16 through verse 18. You attend that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God as black words on a white page. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Guys, this is the third of four sermons that your teenagers heard while in Gulf Shores, Alabama at the first part of June. Um, there were four sermons out of Galatians chapter five, and this is number three in those, in that little series. The book of Galatians was written to a church in Galatia that was on the verge of forsaking the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter in an effort to clarify the gospel and to clarify some of the necessary parts of the gospel. You'll remember, I hope, that in verses 2 through 6, where the words could not have been any clearer, where he said, if you add anything to the gospel... You ruin it. Don't tamper with the gospel in any way. Don't try to add circumcision or baptism or the, anything. Just leave it alone. If you, if you supplement Christ, you supplant Christ. The gospel is Christ and Him alone. Then He moves to a somewhat, a rather dicey issue about how Christians are to use their freedom. Because he realizes that because of our tendencies, we tend to abuse this great gift of freedom. And so he says very clearly in verse 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's what we talked about last week. The abuses of freedom. And then, if anything, he comes in verses 16 to 17 to something, to an issue that's even trickier than that. Let me see if I can kind of frame it for you. It's, it's something like this. Okay, Paul, I, I hear what you're saying about this, this freedom in this life of liberty to, this life to obey and to serve. But Paul, how do I get started with that? I mean, um, how how is that all possible? And so in these three verses, he answers the question something like that. And his answer is, the way you get started, the way you this is made possible, is through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says that in verse 16. He says it, I think, better in verse 25. Can I read? I didn't read 25, but would you look at it? He says in verse 25, very simply, if we live by the Spirit, let us also 
walk by the Spirit. Here's what he's saying, guys. Um, as a result of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God, you have now been brought to life. By this work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, you have been brought out of spiritual deadness into spiritual life. Now, as this new regenerated soul, walk by that same Spirit. The Spirit who has come to take up residence within us. He says elsewhere um, that we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, now that you're alive in the Spirit, walk, proceed in the power of that same Spirit. Now, guys, there is a great deal of confusion at this point in, in the Christian church about issues like that. Um, there is confusion, well... We don't have time to talk about it, but when there is, when there's doctrinal confusion, guys, it inevitably leads to a distorted spiritual life. So what I want to try to do is, is sort out some of this stuff this morning. Uh, we'll do our best. I'm going to do my best. You do your best if we can sort out some of the confusion that you might have concerning this whole thing about living in the spirit and, and now walking by the spirit. Okay. Stay with me. All right, guys, let's start like this very simply. Who is he? Now, notice I didn't ask, who is it? The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a him. He is the third person of the Holy Spirit, of, of the third person of the Trinity. And he has an assigned duty in this whole redemptive story. Just like the other two members of the Trinity, he has an assigned role that he plays. Okay, number two. What is that assigned role? What exactly is it that the Holy Spirit does? Guys, there are two major parts. There are other parts, but there are two major parts of his work. One is monergistic. The other is synergistic. Now, I know you don't know those, understand those two words, but we're going to get to those words later. But there are two major parts of his, of his assignment, of his role. Number one. He is the author of the new birth. That is, he is the one that brings us out of spiritual death into spiritual life. He is the one that grants the rebirth, being born again. If I could say it crudely, he reborns us. In the, in the language of Ezekiel, which is my favorite language, Ezekiel says it like this. He exchanges a heart of stone, spiritually, and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He brings us out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. And that is a monergistic act. Again, we'll get to that word in just a second. That's a monergistic act where he exchanges a dead heart for an alive one. That's the first major part of his work. The second part of his, or the second major part of his work is that after he accomplishes this, he then sticks around. He hangs around and becomes the animating, the, the enabling force of the whole spiritual life known as sanctification. Folks, 
Spiritual progress is not made by reliance on the flesh. That is, by my willpower. Nor is spiritual progress made simply by spiritual disciplines. Guys, do you know what I mean by spiritual disciplines? There are books written about spiritual disciplines. Here's two of them. This is the one that gets a whole lot of press by Richard Foster. Let me just read you a little bit out of his table of contents. What he calls spiritual disciplines. Prayer, fasting, study, solitude, submission, service, worship, giving. Those are all what is known as spiritual disciplines. I am saying to you that spiritual progress is not going to be made by observing spiritual disciplines. Those disciplines divorced from the innervating work of the Holy Spirit becomes just another code. A code that we check off on our way to spiritual smugness. Well, I had my quiet time. Well, good for you. I'm glad you had one of those. But apart from the Holy Spirit, that thing was probably damaging to your soul. Not good for it. Guys, my character is changed by work that he, that is God the Holy Spirit, authors and enables. Well, okay, Jimmy, does that mean then that that I do nothing Am I, am I, am I passive in this whole thing? Uh, I mean, do I just sit in a spiritual rocking chair the whole time? Oh no, by no means. Guys, it's this part of his work that is synergistic. Now guys, most of you know what synergy is. I mean, you, you work in offices where they talk about synergy. Synergy is just when two things cooperate well. Two things function uh, uh, side by side. It's a joint venture. That is, this part of the Holy Spirit's work is a joint venture. Can I read you a text that, which I think says it very well? It's in Colossians 1. Don't turn there, but it's, it's in Colossians 1.29 if you want to see it later. But Paul says this. For this I toil, struggling... With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now guys, listen, listen. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all... What would you expect the next word to be? You would expect it to be my energy. Um, This is the way we would think. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy. It doesn't say that. It says, for this I toil... Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you see the synergy? I toil struggling with energy that God the Holy Spirit has provided. Let me give you another example. Guys, I I said to you a minute ago that spiritual disciplines, these things... Apart from the Holy Spirit, won't work. And they won't. But, what tools does the Holy Spirit use in this process of changing me? Spiritual disciplines. You confused yet? (laughs) Guys, that's what synergy means. 
It means that because of the resident Holy Spirit, he takes these things that Paul says that I toil and struggle with, and providing ability and energy, there is this cooperative joint venture that's going on where I cooperate with God the Holy Spirit in changing me. Guys, when God saved me by the Holy Spirit's work, that was a monergistic act. That is, you made no contribution. You didn't provide synergy with that. But when it comes to this other thing that God the Holy Spirit is doing, making me into the image of Christ, I cooperate with him. That the act of regeneration is a monergistic, mono, one, single, alone. The work of sanctification is a synergistic act. That we are working alongside, cooperating with, I toil, struggle with energy that he provided. Guys, you remember last week um, I offered you that third option? You remember I, I damned legalism on this end, and I damned antinomianism on this end, and then I damned a combination of the two? And then I said, here is the standard for us. Emulating Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. See? There's the synergy. Emulating Christ. I toil. By the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be like Christ like so many of you. But for that to take place, I toil in reliance and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Which should mean more humility, more dependence, more prayer. Because I now know that no progress will ever be made with me just trying harder. You know, guys, if I could just as an aside say this. So much of spiritual counsel, counseling that you have gotten, so much of that goes under the banner of spiritual counsel amounts to nothing more than just try harder. You know, you need, you need to read your Bible more. You need to pray harder. You need to go to church. Guys, those are all wonderful things and I hope you do them. But do you understand that apart from God's spirit, they will do nothing but create in you a smugness. Well, I had my quiet time. Good. But apart, divorced from the work of the spirit in you, it will contribute to a high mindedness. That does you no good. I toil, struggling, with energy provided for me by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Guys, we will never change until we learn that we cannot change ourselves. I can't will myself into Christ-likeness. But I can beg for it. I can ask God the Holy Spirit to grant me grace so that little by little my flesh dies. And that Christ in me is made more and more visible. 
to the point that somebody might even see my good works and glorify my Father who's in heaven. That would be nice, now wouldn't it? Guys, only the resident Holy Spirit can subdue my flesh. It is only He that can teach me how to enjoy Christian liberty, how my Christian liberty is to be is to be used. Okay, Jimmy, um, I kind of get that. I, I, I kind of get it a little bit at least. I mean, it's still kind of confusing, but I, I, I get I get a little bit of it. But here's my problem, Jimmy. I've been a Christian a long time. I, I, I've been at this for years. And Jimmy, very honestly, I see so little progress in my soul. What's up with that? Why is it that I'm not growing? Well, first of all, let me say it's your fault. It's our fault. When we trifle with spiritual things and, and neglect our souls, um, we're not going to go very far. And one of the reasons that we don't grow any faster is because we're triflers. We trifle with spiritual stuff. But having said that, look at the text, guys, because Paul addresses something that's important for all of us to understand. He, he addresses it in verse 17. Guys, in verses 16 and 17, Paul is describing a warfare. And the two combatants are flesh and spirit. Do you see it? And he says in verse 17, they oppose each other. Um, you got this warfare that's going on in the life of the Christian, the flesh warring against the spirit, etc., etc., etc. But then in, in verse 17, he says something very critical, guys. He says in 17, um, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Here it is. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Gang, does that ring a bell? Paul has said that before. He said it in Romans 7, that that very controversial, much-discussed passage. And here's how he says it. Listen to this, guys. Here's how he says it in Romans 7. I do not understand my own actions. Can you say something like that? I don't understand my own self. Paul says it. He says, I don't understand my own actions. He goes on. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Is that not refreshing? The Apostle Paul says, golly gee, this battle that's going on inside of me, I don't understand it. Why? There are times when I find myself not doing what I want to do, but I'm doing the very things I hate. Did you lose your temper with your kids this week? Did you enjoy it? Of course you didn't. We hate it when we do that. Try to cut somebody off on the expressway, did you? Did you did you enjoy the victory you got? No. It was alarming that that kind of hatred still exists in me. Did you do something to a to a fellow employee that you're ashamed of? You, did you enjoy it when you got home? No, I don't understand it, Jimmy. I don't understand why, why, you know, why is it that I do the very things I hate? He says that right here in verse 17, guys, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Guys, there are occasions, maybe more than there should be, 
But there are occasions that because I am so ravaged in by sin, I lose my battle. I find I do what my regenerated soul hates. But I want you to notice this, guys. My failure is accompanied with this God-centered sorrow for what I just did. I did the thing I hate. I'm a mess spiritually. I'm a mess. True. But I hate it that I'm a mess. Guys, for some of us, about the only noticeable difference in me now as compared to before I became a Christian, about the only change I can spot is now my sin is something that I hate. You know, the non-Christian doesn't hate his sin. He, he wallows in it. You ever heard the little illustration about the little boy who comes out the front door and on, on his way to school, the little um, fourth grader and he's on his way to school and he, he uh, slips into a mud puddle and gets himself all dirty and he picks himself up and, and wipes himself off as best he can and he, he's just disgusted that he's gotten so dirty and he heads on to school. A little bit later, his little brother comes out and he sees that mud puddle. He jumps right in it and just swims around and loves and just... Mm. That's the difference, ladies and gentlemen, in a Christian and a non-Christian. Do you fall in the mud puddle? You better believe it. But once we're in it, we're, we're sorry we're there. We pick ourselves up wash ourselves off as best we can by repentance, and then get on with the walk with Jesus Christ. Not the non-Christian. The non-Christian loves that stuff. Looks for opportunities. Looks for new mud holes to jump in. Loves his sin. Enjoys his sin. Guys, the regenerated soul says something like this. That is, the soul that's alive, made alive by God the Holy Spirit. He says something like this. He says... I don't understand. I find that I don't do what I want to do. Instead of doing the things that I want to do, I find it, dead gummit, that I do the very things that I hate. Guys, life in the Spirit is that constant, effective influence which the Holy Spirit exerts in our hearts such that we are being directed, we're being enabled more and more, inch by inch, to walk in God's ways freely and cheerfully and eagerly. And lo and behold, we're seeing a bit of progress. It comes slow and hard. It comes inch by inch. But we see it coming. Guys, here is the best summary of what I've been saying. It's that simple statement in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, then for heaven's sakes, that's not in the text, (laughs) walk by the Spirit. Now, let me close with a story, a story I made up. It's not a true story. Remember, it's not a true story. Okay, I just made this up. All right, because I'm about to be a drug addict and I am not a drug addict. 
but it's, I made this story up. Okay, so let's imagine I'm a drug addict. It's not a true story. Uh, I'm a drug addict, but uh, to support my habit, I sell drugs on the street. Um, you know, <laughs> some, I gotta make some money somehow to, you know, support my habit. And so I've been selling for a while and lo and behold, I'm caught. I'm, um, I'm arrested. And I'm taken down to the jail and, um, and, uh, after a while I, uh, I come before Jim Beasley there, you know, uh, old Judge Jim and, and Jim looks at my, looks at my, uh, my record and he says, um, he says, well, the guy's never been in trouble before. He hadn't got anything on his record. Instead of throwing him into the, uh, those overcrowded prisons of ours, I'm going to find him. I'm going to find Jimmy Young. I'm going to find him $750,000. Now, guys, as I stand before the judge in that courtroom, I got two problems. I got two problems. I got a bad record. I did some bad stuff. My occupation is not exactly approved by society. I got a bad occupation. I got a bad record. But not only that, I got another problem. I got a bad habit. I got, I got this addiction thing here that is really, you know, it's, I'm going nowhere. So there I am standing before the judge and the judge says, well, you know, I'm going to have a little mercy on you, Jimmy Young, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to fine you $750,000. But he knows I can't pay that. So in essence, it's tantamount to put me in prison anyway. So just before the bailiff gets me and drags me off into the jail cell, the back doors of the courtroom open up and you walk in. You know, one of my rich friends. And um, you are you are so appreciative of Jimmy Young that you decide, you know, I got an extra $750,000 uh, like most of you have. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to pay his bill. So at that moment, you say, Judge, I'd like to pay his fine. And so you write out a check for $750,000 and give it to the judge. At that moment, ladies and gentlemen, the law of the land has been satisfied with respect to Jimmy Young. The judgment is in, $750,000, the $750,000 is paid, I'm, I'm free to go. I have paid my debt to society. So out the back doors do I go and off to the street. But I got another problem. It's very nice what you've done by paying that $750,000 for me. I really appreciate it. But I got another problem. Within 30 minutes, I'm going to be in some kind of drug transaction. Because I've got to address my habit. My addiction. It's a nice thing that you've done for me. No, don't, don't mishear me. But I still got this raging problem. That's my story. And here's the application, ladies and gentlemen. When it comes to saving any of us, any of us, when God comes to examine you, you got two problems, my friend. You got a bad record. And you got a bad heart. You've done some very bad things and lots and lots of them. And then you've got this propensity. You love sin. There's all kinds of addictions that I've got. 
So I've got a bad record. And I got a bad heart. And here's what God has done. To address the problem of my bad record. He sends Jesus Christ to die in my place. And every piece of the penalty that I deserve for having done what I have done has been paid for in full by the completed work of Jesus Christ. The law in terms of me has been satisfied by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But then I've got that other problem. My bad heart. So here's what he does about that. He begins by exchanging my heart of stone and gives me a heart of flesh. And then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my heart. And little by little, step by step, he begins to subdue the clamorings of my addictions. And more and more, my heart is shaped into something that desires to chase after Jesus Christ. What a gospel. What a message to tell people who have both of those problems. And ladies and gentlemen, you got them. Every one of us. You got him. You got a bad record. You got a bad heart. And the only thing that will address either of them is the redemption that God has wrought in Jesus Christ by the making application by the power of the Holy Spirit to us. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. In a verse. If you live by the Spirit, then walk. Walk by that same Spirit. Oh God, what a privilege is mine to try as best I know how to describe that. What a joy, what a, I, and I, I pray for these people, Lord, who had to sit and listen to me when they could have listened to somebody far better, far more skilled. And I pray that you will make up for my shortcomings so that they might not miss an iota of the great work accomplished by your spirit. So, Father, where I have been unclear, would you clarify? Where I have been accurate, would you use it to find its way into the center of the being of the individual person that they might long for the solution to their bad record and their bad heart? Lord, would you use the great beauty of the gospel to save and to transform each and every one of us. And we ask it all in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.